everyone, Shannon Waller here, and this is a very special episode here of the Team Success Podcast, an author interview. And today I have someone I've been introduced to after I'd read the book, so I was so excited to be able to meet with the author. And the book is Less Doing, More Living, Make Everything in Life Easier. Now, first of all, how much do you love that title? <laughs> I certainly do. It pretty much jumped off the shelf. It was recommended to me by Joe Polish in the Strategic Coach Workshop. And then one of his business partners, Dan, actually was kind enough to introduce us. So I'm really excited, Ari, to talk with you. So the author's name is Ari Mizell. And Ari has really put together an incredible resource of, well, you can call them life hacks, productivity hacks, really about making life incredibly better. And one of the reasons why I like it so much is it really is in line with Strategic Coach's value system and my value system of really maximizing productivity and leverage. It's also about expanding personal freedom. So Ari, when I read your book, the word freedom kept popping up for me because what you really give people back is freedom of their time, which we talk about here at Coach, and freedom of purpose so they can do what is really meaningful for them. So first of all, thank you very much for writing the book. Well, Shannon, thank you for that introduction, and thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. So before we jump into it, and by the way, I'm going to recommend immediately that you run out and buy the book. Now, Ari has tons of resources, and we'll share some of those later, but in the book, there are so many references that really, unless you have, I think, the hard copy, <laughs> it's going to be challenging to get all that. I love audiobooks and all the other resources, but just having the paper in this case, I think, is really useful. So, Ari, you have had an illustrious background and done a ton of different things and been an entrepreneur in a lot of different ways, and you have a very particular motivation behind creating less doing, more living. I want to cover some of that so people kind of know where you come from and where the ideas come from. And I'm going to read a little bit of your bio that I found kind of fascinating. I really hope you just add to it. So just throw in stuff that you think is really useful. Sure. So one of the things that I liked on your site was you said, Ari turned a hobby of productivity into a popular framework and consulting service for optimizing, automating, and outsourcing of life's task. We're going to be talking about that. Less Doing More Living continues to grow in popularity and has become a platform for general efficiency consulting to businesses, entrepreneurs, and everyone else who could use a little more time in their life. His Achievement Architecture Coaching Program helps individuals and teams overcome challenges and be more effective. I love every second of that. <laughs> so you. you're welcome. Can you share just a little bit of your history? I mean, there's a lot and you've got an amazing education background and all the different entrepreneurial ventures you've done. So if you can just introduce yourself a bit to our listeners and then we'll talk about what your real impetus was for creating Less Doing More Living. Sure. So I started my first company when I was 12 and it was a website design company, which at the time, I think it was the mid-90s, I guess, the late 90s, that was that was sort of a newish thing for people to be doing that. So that was my first thing. And by the time I got to high school, I, was, I think I'd done about 150 sites for various companies and people. Wow. But I started two other companies as well. So the second one was called menustogo.com, which was a precursor to menu pages. And the third company was called Tech, which was just basically me getting to play with gadgets and solve cool things in people's houses and businesses. So I was always very entrepreneurial-minded, and I was never a very good student, particularly, because <laughs> I wasn't paying much attention to my academics. But I ended up going to the University of Pennsylvania to the Warden School, and that was only because I really wanted to go to the Navy, actually. I did not want to go to college. Really? Yeah. I still get those sort of inklings every now and then. I really, really did want to go into the Armed Forces, but I think I was such a bad employee that I probably would have not worked out the best for me. I've been fired from, I think, 10 different companies. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, true entrepreneurs are actually not employable, I've decided. 
Yeah, right. Well, or you're just an idiot. You know, it's, it's, at some point, you have to decide which one it is and go with it. <laughs> so I went to the University of Pennsylvania to the Warden School. And again, I was not particularly academically minded. I, I graduated with a 2.68 GPA, which I think is a C- minus average. <laughs> but I graduated a year early, and I had a major in real estate, a major in entrepreneurship, and a minor in art history, and a minor in psychology. Wow. So I was working as efficiently as possible starting then. Actually, one of the big fundamentals of less doing, which I'm sure we'll get into, which is called Choose Your Own Work Week, actually came out of my senior year of college, where I only had classes on two days a week. I had a lot of classes, but it was only two days a week, and it was very manageable that way. So I got out a year early, and I went to upstate New York to visit a friend. And while I was there, he showed me these old buildings from the 1880s that were these cigar warehouses, really historic, cool buildings. And I made an offer to buy them that day. And they were really cheap because Binghamton is a pretty economically depressed area. And had this vision that I could create lofts in Binghamton, New York. I had grown up in Soho my whole life, and I thought that I could do something like that there, and it was sort of primed for it. So I did. I bought the buildings and set out to build these lofts. And the deal was that anybody that worked on the job had to teach me their trade. So I spent the next three years learning and doing every construction trade imaginable, and I really learned how to build a building properly. But more importantly, I learned how to manage a team. Mm -hmm. I learned how to manage time and a project and different resources and political aspects and all sorts of different things. And it was a extremely difficult and rewarding learning process for me. Unfortunately, it didn't lend itself to a very healthy lifestyle. So I was working 18 hours a day. I was young, so I was a little reckless sometimes when I was doing some construction activities. And I, I broke a couple bones. I burned myself more than once with a welding torch. I had a lot of stress because this was my big project. I had a, I had a lot of debt that built up from doing this at the time. And I was eating fast food. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes today. I was drinking. It was not a good place to be. And when I was 23, I think now, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. That's a big illness for a young body. Yeah, that's definitely a fair way to put it. And for those who don't know, Crohn's is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's very, very painful. It's not really, really well understood. And what they essentially do is really they treat the symptoms. So they put you on all sorts of medicines. And I was taking at 1.16 pills per day, and I was getting sicker. I was in really, really bad shape. So basically, I got to this really low point in the hospital where I thought I was going to die. I mean, I, I wasn't probably, but I was at the precipice basically where I thought like this was the end of my life. Mm. And I got out of the hospital the next morning and spiked 104 degree fever for no explicable reason and was kind of delirious. And when I came down from that a day or so later, I basically decided like I have to do something different. I have to make a drastic, drastic change in my life. Otherwise, really, I'm going to die. So the only thing I know how to do was just to kind of go extreme with everything. So <laughs> I... <laughs> I immediately went to the complete opposite of what I was doing. One of the things was that I had not had greens, basically green vegetables or leafy greens in months because of a miscommunication essentially with my doctor and I felt like they were causing part of the problem. So I went to the complete opposite. I became a vegan for about a month, which was okay, but it didn't really work for me. And then I started introducing other things and very quickly settled on basically a pescatarian diet and that started to have a big effect. So I started to feel better. I started to have a little bit more control. The biggest issue with Crohn's, and I think a lot of autoimmune diseases, is that 
you're basically at war with your own body, mm-hmm. which is a really bad place to be, especially, as you said, like as a young person. Like, mm-hmm. that's a lot to be handling. So I started to get some control, which was a big thing, also something that sort of led into what I was doing. And after four months, I was off my meds. And two months later, I competed in my first triathlon, which was amazing because I'm 40 pounds lighter now than I was then. And that wasn't because I was fat. It was because I was inflamed mm. from all the inflammation. And you can see it in pictures. I was just like puffy looking. I looked like a balloon. So I could barely go up and fly the stairs back then without getting winded. So now I did my first triathlon. And then I was like, all right. So that I felt good. I wasn't thriving as far as I would say, but I was good. So I really got into health and fitness. I was teaching a cardio class at my wife's yoga studio. I became a yoga instructor. I became an EMT. Like I really dove into this in a big way. And I was teaching one of my cardio classes, and a friend of mine had brought someone else who had just completed Ironman. And we're talking about triathlons. He's like, do you ever think you'd want to do Ironman? And I immediately was like, no way. I can't imagine what you were thinking. It's crazy. I would never do that. And that night, (laughs) my friend who got me to do the first triathlon I did sent me an email. He's like, Ironman France next summer. Are you in? And I wrote back without even thinking. I said, yes. Oh, my goodness. So my wife is French, and like that's sort of how I justified it. I was like, we'll go to France. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> so I started training for Ironman France, which I had about a year and I think maybe 14 months runway to do that. And along the way is where the real transformations happen. So, again, I was doing good. But I realized that the nutrition and the supplements and the fitness aspects of what was going on in my body and my illness were actually pretty straightforward. And I have replicated my results in well over 50 Crohn's patients at this point. The hard part, I realized, was stress. And not reducing stress, but managing stress. And and this is not my opinion. I mean, stress is an inflammatory agent. There's no question. And the problem is is when it becomes chronic, it's going to burst the seams in one way or another. So I basically, my response to the stress issue was to create a new system of productivity, the best thing I could come up with. And the goal was to help people optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives in order to free up as much time as possible so that they could stress less, reclaim their minds, use it for the things that they wanted to, and be more effective. And that is how less doing was worn, basically, was out of this desire to help people free up time so that they could stress less. I love that stress less. <laughs> That's just an easy thing to remember. And one of the things, as I read your book, which I've read a couple of times now, is just how conscious you are about every single aspect of your life. And it's really clear that you had to. I mean, the stakes are so high for you if you don't. But you took it, as you say, you do most things to the extreme, which I love, because I feel like you've done the heavy lifting and we get to benefit from that, which is super cool. (laughs) Well, it's funny because that comes up a lot where, for instance, my work week, which again, we'll probably talk about, Uh is Mondays and Wednesdays. And a lot of people are like, I can't just work two days a week. And I don't actually just work two days a week, but that is my work week. And a lot of the things I do are extreme. And I do these experiments so that you don't have to. I try to figure it out for people so that they don't have to uh, then go do exactly what I did. I love it. I'm very happy to borrow (laughs) from other people's expertise, as I want them to borrow from me, too, because when we're doing what we love to do and do best, it's just fun to share it, and I definitely get that sense from you, so awesome. So let's drill down into those three different things, because it's very clearly a system. So optimize, automate, and outsource. Let's dive deep into that, because I think, first of all, those are three easy things to remember, so we can stress less. But can you define optimize? What does optimize mean to you? Sure. Before I explain that, though, I do have to give the reason for that methodology. It's really important, you know, because anybody can outsource 
pretty much anything nowadays. It's very easy. You can go to websites like Fiverr.com and you can have somebody write copy for your website for $5. So like, it's very easy to outsource. The problem is that if you just go right to outsourcing, it's essentially the same as like sweeping the dirt under the rug. It doesn't actually get rid of the problem. And in a lot of cases, it can make the process less efficient because it's just distancing you from it. So you have to do it in this order. So now I can explain. Optimization to me, is really about stopping and taking a hard look at what you're actually doing, what the processes that you're going through entail, and what it takes to do the activities that you do in your life and sort of where you're spending your resources, your time, your money, your energy. And a lot of that has to do with self-tracking. Pretty much everything we do nowadays can be tracked, whether it's digitally or physically or all sorts of different things. So one of the things that I love to do when I give a talk in person well, okay, so Shannon, without thinking about it, if you can, tell me really quickly what you had for breakfast this morning. I had two pieces of turkey bacon. I had a fried egg that my daughter didn't want to eat, and I had one bite of a bagel with cream cheese before my daughter stole it from me. Okay. <laughs> okay, now do the same thing. Tell me how many emails you sent last Tuesday. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> oh, actually, no, I do know. I was on free days, so none. <laughs> But if you asked me yesterday, I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Right. And the thing is, I love asking that when I have like a group of like seven or six or 800 people. Love and it. the funny thing, too, is when there's like three or four people who don't raise their hands about breakfast because they can't remember, which is even more telling. But <laughs> it's a really interesting point because the first response that most people would give me to that is, well, who cares? And mm. the answer may be, well, maybe nobody cares and that you absolutely may be right. But... Maybe it does matter. And the thing is, is that that is your information. That's stuff that's happening to you in your world that you do have control over. So why wouldn't you want to be aware of that kind of stuff? So first of all, email is an easy one. There's dozens of programs now that you can use for free that will tell you how often you're sending email, what days you send the most email, what hours in the day you get the bulk of your emails. And that's really interesting information because you can start to plan around that. But it goes way beyond that. You know, you can track your sleep. You can track steps that you've taken, the food you've eaten, the interactions you had. You can even now track how people affect your mood. There is actually a device called the People Keeper, and this is one of many that does it, but the People Keeper uses an app and a wristband to measure your heart rate and some other metrics. And basically, whenever you meet somebody, if you can identify who that person is, and then it will tell you how that person made you feel, whether it was anxious or aroused or interested or excited. And after a week of using it, it will tell you that these are the three people that mess up your day the most, you know, and these are the three people that make you the happiest. That'd be really good in the dating scene. Yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> it would be. But I mean, and that's fascinating information, you know, and that's something that, again, this is happening to us all the time. There's so much stuff going on. There's so much overwhelm. Mm -hmm. But if you stop and you take a look and you really try to identify what's happening and what's going on, that to me is optimization. I'm kind of laughing because I'm wearing my Fitbit as we speak because <laughs> I love it. I love tracking it. I love tracking my sleep. You have amazing capacity for information and input. That's one of the things I'm sort of in awe of. So now can people track everything all at once or do they need to start with one thing and then kind of figure that out and then move on to the next? What's the system for actually breaking it down? So it kind of depends what your goals are. But one is that I think is a really great general recommendation I love is there's a free app for the computer called Rescue Time. And I love recommending Rescue Time. So what it does is you install it, and then you forget about it. So you install it, it starts to watch how your 
using your computer, and it will tell you after a day or after a week, it'll say, you know, you spent 15 hours this week on email, and you spent 10 hours in Facebook, and four hours in Excel, and 14 hours on people.com, or whatever it is. You know, it actually, it drills down to quite a bit of detail. So, that's really cool because what it's going to show you is after about a week or so, I think, of using it, it'll say, look, Tuesday is your most productive day and Thursday is your least productive day. And the fascinating thing about that is you may not know why that is, but it doesn't matter because just that knowledge is really powerful because now you can say to yourself, hmm, well, maybe if Thursday is such an unproductive day for me, maybe I should start putting more of my busy admin work, you know, paying the bills, doing like bookkeeping. I'll put that on Thursday because I'm, you know, I'm not really in it and I can just sort of be a robot to do it. But Tuesday where I really need to have the power cell and I have to have this meeting and I have to make it go well with the client, that's when I should try to move those meetings. It's Tuesday and see what happens. So that's a really, really great place to start. It's really eye-opening just alone to see that you're spending 16 hours a week on email and then just knowing that and learning some email hygiene, which we're going to talk about. Oh, please. That could be the biggest takeaway ever. <laughs> Yeah, well, right. And I've had people send me their rescue time screenshots, and they're like, look, last week it was 16 hours. This week it's five. This is amazing. Wow, that's 11 hours back. That's amazing. Exactly. Okay, I want to sign up right now. <laughs> so rescuetime.com, right? That's the website? Yeah. Now, there's a couple different versions. Which one do you use? Do you use the light or the advanced? Which one do you like? People should start with the light version because the pro version is great. I mean, it's well worth it, but definitely you're going to get a lot of information from the free version before you go on it. Awesome. The pro version. Okay, thank you. Oh, this is so exciting. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so optimizing is really about taking a look at things, breaking them down. It's interesting because as I was reading the book again, we have one of our tools. It's called Unique Method at Strategic Coach. And it's really 12 boxes in a horseshoe shape, but it really does allow you to break down a process into the discrete steps, who does it, what's the handoff, all that kind of great stuff. And we use it for company efficiencies to have it figure that out. But applying it to this scale, and you've got a great example in your book about just delineating a process so it's very, very clear with no confusion, the handoffs are obvious, where to find information is obvious, so that you can, I think, probably take the next step, right, which is to automate. Exactly. So automation is about set it and forget it. So it's the mindset of that you can put these things in place and never have to think about them again. And so, yeah, usually you have to optimize first and then you can automate. Well, I'm sorry. You always want to optimize first and then automate second. And the thing that's what I love about automation is that's like that's my playground because that is the thing that changes so much and so quickly with technology that you don't want to even get to the outsourcing step unless you've already optimized, automated, and there's something left that has to be done by a human being. Right. Nowadays, there's so many things that you just never even get to the outsourcing step because you can automate it. And this could be people. It could be people, but even so, it's something where it's like, hey, look, this is just going to happen, and you're going to process this, and I don't have to think about it. Or there's lots of apps and software that allow you to do this as well. The, the best one to look at for this kind of thing. There's two, actually. IFTTT, which stands for if this then that.com. Uh-huh. And then the other one is Zapier, which is Z-A-P-I-E-R.com. Now, what these two things do, they're almost identical, but they just work with some different services, is they create a very simple automation between two different web services. So if this happens in this service, then do this over here at this service. So something as simple as if I change my profile picture on Twitter, then also change it on Facebook. You know, it's really good for branding kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. If I get a new sale in my PayPal business account, add that client to a new reference in Salesforce. 
if somebody tweets about my company using this hashtag, then add that to a line in a Google Docs spreadsheet. Like, so that kind of thing, it's the kind of activities that take you 30 to 45 seconds to do, but you're doing them dozens or hundreds of times a day and you can completely automate that out of your life. Well, I just think about some of the complexity people have with keeping up with their social media and posting things. I always want to post articles to both LinkedIn and Facebook, and you just solve the problem. Yeah, that's right. And that's a perfect example of it. You can almost completely automate all aspects of social media this way. Oh, I love it. Oh, this is so fun. Keep going. Now, <laughs> so how do you spell the second one again? IFTTT.com, is that right? The first one, if this, then yeah, that. Right. And what's the second one again? Zapier. It's Z-A-P-I-E-R.com. Okay, perfect. And does that one do something very similar? They're almost identical. They just work with different services. Got it. Oh, this is so cool. You're just a wealth of information, Ari. I love it. <laughs> and you love doing this stuff. You love finding the newest technology. This is why I said, guys, you've got to go get the book because I went through and highlighted all the flipping links and there's a lot. Once I optimize, then the automation I think will be really easy. But there's just such a wealth of resources, which I just... To me, it's fun. It's candy, too. So I love it. Just before we jump to the next one, you mentioned that there's some things you can automate now that you never used to be. What are some of the biggest breakthroughs that you've experienced or that you get super excited about? Well, there's a couple things that I'm really proud of, but one of them was my podcast production process. So I put out my Let's Doing podcast twice a week now, and it's been a really, really fun thing for me, as I know you understand. Like, yes. It's great to have these kind of conversations, and I love what I do with the podcast. So... When I started the podcast, it was taking about 15 hours of my time to do any given episode, and I was releasing one every six weeks, which does not really build an audience. And <laughs> also, the quality was not amazing because I was doing all the graphic work myself, transcriptions, everything, audio editing, which I'm certainly not that good at. And now the process takes a total of an hour, and I'm able to put out two episodes every week, and that hour is my unique ability. So basically... I believe that 95% of the things that any of us do on a given day can be done by other people or other things. And it's that 5% that only you can do and do better than anybody else that I want you to be able to focus on. So in my case, with the podcast, my 5% is interviewing an interesting person and having a conversation with my co-host about it and about interesting links for the week. So the podcast process now involves IFTTT, it involves virtual assistance from Fancy Hands, it involves Zapier, a bunch of other different services, but basically all I have to do now is record the interview with the person, save that to Dropbox, I record my co-host part, save that to Dropbox, and then I'm done. The next thing I know, it's on my blog a few days later with all the show notes, with all the graphic design done, and I don't have to think about it. That is incredible. It's this is so cool because, you know, strategic coach, we talk about 10 times. And you can do 10 times lots of times, but that's in terms of increased productivity and efficiencies and things like that. And that's what you just talked about, 15 hours down to one and two per week from one every six weeks. I don't know what the multiple is there, but it's huge. That's fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And it's a replicable process, too, so I've actually set that up for some other people. Oh, yes. You're going to be very popular. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's neat because I think I look at what stops me and it is always where I step outside my unique ability, which is you were kind enough to interview me about that for your podcast. Where we step outside our unique ability, then we're into complexity. And that stops so many people. I know it stops me from it's like, this would be a great idea, but then I'd have to do all this 
crap that I really don't like doing, things I don't enjoy. And when you can strip that out and, as you said, delegate it to people or things who are great at it, which to me is really the essence of unique ability teamwork, my passion, it's fantastic. And then that just leverages us to do what we do and, frankly, make the biggest difference. So when we don't take on those projects because we're concerned or scared about the complexity, there's a whole depletion there. And what you've done is just completely turn that process on its head. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I'm at the point now where it's so ingrained into me to sort of think in this way of not only optimizing automated outsourcing things, but also sort of protecting my unique ability mm. that I'll have conversations with people. Like, I have a really awesome team now in place that is growing my business and they're managing all my Facebook ads and all the funnels and things that I don't really even want to know about. And I almost feel bad because when they start to have conversations with me about it, I feel myself within like three minutes or to start to zone out and just think to myself, it's great that you're explaining to me how to do this, but I just would rather have you or someone else do it. And, you know, that's it. Yeah, just we, focus on the results. We call that eyes glazing over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you keep doing that over there and it's fabulous and thank you. And don't tell me about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love it. That's awesome. Great. And this kind of plays into the next step, which is outsourcing, which is obviously partly how you automate is you delegate it to other people. So let's talk about that because I think outsourcing, and we need to come up with a new term, insourcing maybe, for people that actually are on physical teams as well as people who are outside in the world. And I, I just love, like with crowdsourcing and all of the different capabilities that are out in the world now, it feels like there's just an unending pool of this incredible talent if you know how to access it and if you know how to optimize and automate it. So talk about what outsourcing looks like in a little bit more detail. Sure. So I think when a lot of people think about outsourcing, they think about virtual assistants, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's not even the tip of the tip of the iceberg. Although I do highly recommend that everybody at some point work with a virtual assistant because I think that it's a learning experience in terms mm -hmm. of how to effectively communicate and delegate your needs. And quite honestly, delegation it's something of a lost art, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Just like people used to dictate letters to their secretaries, it's funny because there's services allow you to do that now, and you can do that with machines, you can do that without having to actually talk to a person. But what a lot of people don't realize is that dictation in itself is a skill that no one, pretty much, of my generation has, and probably of your generation either, I think it's probably been lost. Because if you ever see like a video, or if you actually see like an older, older doctor dictating, there's a whole language that goes along with it. You know, like scratch that, no, back up, oh, new paragraph. Like you have to think in punctuation. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I bought dictation software and I am completely and totally incompetent at it. But my dad was a lawyer and he was brilliant at it. And he dictated everything. And actually that became really important because he had a, well, brain tumor and he couldn't actually write and his dictation skills kept him in communication way longer than anyone else. So I completely agree that it's a lost art and I'm very conscious for several personal reasons about how challenging that is because I do not speak in punctuation. I have not figured that out yet. Right. And the thing is, is you probably don't need to in, in the majority of the work you do, but the point is that there are some of these skill sets that people used to have that we just don't anymore because they haven't been used. And delegation is one of them. Delegation is not simply telling someone to do something. It's really, it's not. That's the problem that people don't seem to realize is that you need to effectively communicate what you actually need done. And in the case of using a virtual assistant, the reason that I think it's such a great educational tool is that if you're requiring yourself, you're putting yourself in a box where you have to tell somebody who you don't know or doesn't know you at least and they don't have necessarily any training in what you do for a business or for a living and you have 
a limited window in which to explain to them what you need done, that's actually a fantastic educational experience for you in terms totally. of how to communicate what you need. Absolutely. Oh, this is good. By the way, your definition of delegation is probably the simplest and clearest I've ever heard. Effectively communicate what you need done. Thank you. Right. I love it. So people really have to develop that capability and talent. And I totally agree. It's a lost art. I coach on it all the time. It's like, come on, people. And I'm still getting better myself. So yes, I totally agree that connecting with a virtual assistant trains you on how to do that because you learn really quickly. Tim Ferriss has actually explained this quite humorously in his four-hour work week. And just some of the mistakes that happen when you don't do it, because we make assumptions, right? In terms of what we think people will do or what you would do in the same situation, they truly have no context or no idea. Right. I mean, more than that, it's that just because something makes sense in your mind doesn't mean it makes sense in their mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'll give you a good example, and that's paying a bill. You know, something that everybody either does or has done in their life. The average number of steps it takes to pay a bill is actually 27. I mean, I've seen much more than that. I've seen some less than that. But if you actually look at the optimization part of this, if you look at what it really takes to pay that bill, and you're looking at, oh, go to the Bank of America website, log in with this password, and go to this page, and then put in these details, it adds up very quickly. You write those down, and you immediately look at that, and you're like, okay, well, I see it right here. There's some redundancy. There's a hole here that needs to be filled. So you get down to 24 steps or 23 steps. And that's the beginning of optimization. And then you can see that, oh, well, if I put this file in Dropbox and use this website called Sort My Box, and it will automatically move that file into another folder and send that to my accountant, so that takes out three or four of the steps necessary. And you get down to 14 steps, and that's amazing, and now you're really flying, and then you give those 14 steps to a virtual assistant who's never seen this before, and they say, I'm sorry, I tried to log in, but I couldn't get past step three. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, duh, you know, it made sense in my mind, but I didn't express that clearly, and that's great, because then you do that a couple times, and you get down to a nine-step process, so perfect that anybody can walk in off the street and pay a bill for you. That's awesome. Again, I keep going back to the word conscious or awareness. You're just getting so much more intelligent about your own stuff. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Good. And the thing is, is on a bigger note, the lack of awareness is what I believe causes a lot of stress mm -hmm. and what causes people to feel overwhelmed because they just don't know what's causing. It's like uneasiness, but you don't know why. Right. So actually drilling down, focusing on it, figuring it out, but not having to keep it. I think that's the other thing. The fact that there are resources out there that are very easily accessible, all of a sudden really, to me, there's a huge sense of optimism I get about getting rid of some of the stuff that's just a pain in the, you know what. Yes. Cool. Love it. So again, for outsourcing, where should people start? Or if they've been doing it for a while, what's the next step for them? So you're saying if they already are outsourcing? Yeah, some people do some things, but you've taken it to a whole new level in my estimation. Well, I say that they should still look at the things that they're doing. So one of my triggers for when I'm going to look at a process that needs to be fixed or made better is if I do something more than twice, if it takes me more than five minutes, and or I don't like doing it. <laughs> that would be a very long list for most people. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Do it more than twice, takes more than five minutes, or don't like doing it, or especially if it's all three. <laughs> that is fertile ground for optimizing, automating, and outsourcing. Right I love it. Yeah, my list of don't like it is really, really long, I can tell you that. And for anyone who focuses on their unique ability, for lots of you who are listening, do, you're very, very aware of those things you don't like doing, and you are highly motivated, I hope, to really spend more time with unique ability. So this, we have a very highly motivated audience here, Ari, for this content, which is awesome. 
So again, presuming people optimize so they're not sweeping stuff underneath the rug, but actually looking about whether or not it's worth doing, because you don't want to make something that you shouldn't be doing efficient. That's just doesn't make any sense. And then they automate it, and then they outsource it. And you have some very specific areas of life, so you've got a whole bunch of different nine-step process of places for people to look on how to do that. Let's jump into the 80-20. Yeah, so 80-20 is certainly not my invention. It's been around for 107 years at this point, Pareto's principle. The basic idea is that 80% of outcomes come from 20% of inputs, and on a more practical scale, what that means is that 20% of your clients may produce 80% of your income, but it could also mean that 80% of your complaints come from 20% of your clients, the vocal minority, I guess. So it's a good metric for thinking about how you allocate different resources, and resources to me are energy, time, money. And again, I said that I think it's more of a 95-5 situation where 95% of those things you're doing don't need to be done by you. But what 80-20 is for me is a constant reminder to be self-tracking. Mm-hmm. So that's how it serves me as just a reminder of looking at the situation, whether I'm actually tracking that with something that is an external force like a device or a or software, or just simply stopping, pulling myself out of autopilot, which is, you know, the Daniel Kahneman thing about system one and system two of our brain, where system one is autopilot and system two is more analytical. Well, it's sort of a double-edged sword, because on one hand, it's great that we have this autopilot mode, and we can put all these things in there, like paying a bill, that you just do it without having to think about it, but at the same time, it stops us from looking at the process to make it better, or possibly not have to do it at all. So that's what 8020 is for me. I love it. One of the other things you talk about in that chapter is a note on essential versus optional. And that really hit me, partly because the fewer the categories, the better in my brain. It was really simplifying to have you say, okay, there's certain essential things and then certain optional things. And you applied this to emails. I know there's lots of different strategies for email, but let's talk about it. How do you sort email? How is it? Because you have a whole process and system for how you do it. Sure. So, well, the essential versus optional idea is actually comes out of the tracking because one of the things that the tracking allows you to do is more readily identify what is essential and what is optional in your life. And essential is obvious. It's the things that you have to do, you have to know, you have to read, you have to be aware of, talk to these people. Optional is not junk. It's not garbage. It's just things that you want to do, you'd like to do if you have the time and if you don't, you need to be able to filter that out as automatically as possible. Email is a great example of that. So, There's all sorts of different email strategies out there, and people have tons of different folders and all sorts of things. I think that you pretty much need one folder. Sorry, two. You have your inbox, and then you have your optional folder. And the optional folder, again, is not junk. It's the newsletters. It's the social media things. It's the stuff that you'd love to read it if you have the time, but realistically, you probably don't have the time. So one of the things that you can do is one of the simplest things is create a filter, and Gmail is the best for doing this, but you can do this with other services as well. Any email that has the word unsubscribe in it should be automatically placed into an optional folder. It should skip your inbox and go right to your optional folder. I've seen that get rid of 60% of the emails that people get on a regular basis. Mm, Love it. And keep in mind that what this means is that it's not deleting it because you're going to have the people who are like, oh, well, I work in social media and everything I get has unsubscribe or all the news, you know. It doesn't matter because if it, it has the word unsubscribe in it, then it was definitely not sent directly to you. And in my mind, that is not absolutely essential. And beyond that, you're not getting rid of it. You're putting it into the optional folder. And the beauty of that is that when you are in the inbox, the inbox should be a place of zen and work and the three Ds, which I'll explain in a second. Hang on. Did you just put the word zen in the same sentence as inbox? Yes, exactly. Okay, please. (laughs) You might have to repeat that for everybody. (laughs) No problem. I think that email is a really underrated tool. I think it's one of the best productivity tools that exists and people 
don't use it properly for the most part. The point, though, is that when you switch to the optional folder, you are now mentally, you are emotionally in optional mode. Mm-hmm. That's a very different place to be because you're not in your inbox saying like, oh, there's an email from my boss, there's an email from my mother, there's an email from my wife, and there's a Facebook, whatever. Whereas in the optional folder, you can scan them really quickly and just say, oh, Facebook, Facebook, Zulily, Groupon, blah, blah, blah. Oh, wait, there's something that my dad forwarded me that has unsubscribe in it. I'm going to look at that. It's a very, very different thing when you're in that optional mode. So the three Ds, actually, it's sort of four Ds. There's only three ways to deal with an email in your inbox, and you only want to deal with it once. So the first one is delete it because it's no longer relevant or not directed to you or spam or something. It's garbage. The second one is to deal with it because it's something that you can deal with right now, which is important. If you can do it in the next two or three minutes, then do it right now. There's no reason to not do it now. Oh, and by the way, deal with it could include delegating it. So that's sort of the the subset, fourth D, but you could send it to somebody else to deal with. The third D is to defer it, and this is the most interesting one. So there's a better time for you to do anything that you do, and whether it's creative writing accounting work, talking on the phone, interviewing people, there are better times and worse times for you to do those things. And that has to do with your biorhythms and your attitude and your mood and your hormones and all sorts of things that happen in your life. The weather can affect it. It doesn't matter. But there are better times and worse times to do things. So there's a service called followup.cc. You don't have to have any programs installed. You just use it by email. And what you do is that you can send an email to anybody you want and in the BCC field, you can say three days at followup.cc or Thursday 9 p.m. at followup.cc or one week at followup.cc, pretty much any time period you want at followup.cc. And what happens is that when that time period comes around, that email will come back into your inbox with a snooze functionality now in the upper right corner. So you're going to get that original email back, and it will also say, like, oh, you can do this for another day, an hour, a week, whatever you want. So that's the deferring part. And what you do is that if you can't deal with email right now and it's not junk, you think to yourself, when is the best time to deal with this? And then you forward it to that time and then you forget about it. I love it because it keeps you from being lazy. Well, put it this way, it keeps me from being lazy about my email. Because sometimes I just scan it and I pick out the few that I want to answer and then I close it again, which is completely the opposite to how you're talking about email. I love it. Yeah, I believe in the uh, the Ohio method, the only handle at once. Yes, I love that. So just for fun, how many emails do you have right now in your inbox? Um, since we started talking, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little pause because I'm in awe there. So that means well, you actually and, have and that's, blank that's space. That's only because I'm paying attention to you. And not, I mean, I can take care of these emails. <laughs> in the net. If, if you wanted to say, like, all right, let's hold on for a minute, I would be able to get rid of all seven of those right I now. Compl- no, but I believe you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so that means you actually you can actually see white space in your email box. Well, I have this uh, background image of an ocean, so that's what I get to see. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay, everyone, that's a challenge. <laughs> that's awesome. It's a challenge, and it's also a life changer because that's what I think to say. I really do think that the email is the greatest productivity tool ever because what other possible medium exists in our imaginations where you can carry on thousands of conversations across the entire world? sharing all sorts of information, and you can remember it all because it's searchable. Mm-hmm. That is incredible. And when people complain about their inbox, nobody forced you to get email. Right. And nobody made you sign up for a Gmail account and start sending emails to people and signing up for all sorts of lists. Like, mm-hmm. no one made you do that. So it's a tool and it's a privilege, honestly, as far as I'm concerned. So either use it properly or don't. And by the way, 
there are very successful people who do not use email. There's John Paul DeVorio, who owns Paul Mitchell and is a billionaire multi-times over, does not have an email address and never has. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan Sullivan actually does have an email address, but probably about six people have it. <laughs> he doesn't use it very much at all, so that he's not an email guy, which actually has reduced the complexity in life amazingly. So people kind of admire Dan for sometimes or just how productive he can be. But a lot of it's because he's not trapped. A, he didn't get involved in the system, but also he's just not trapped by it, which is really cool. For most of us, we have email, but we're not using it very efficiently is what I'm hearing you say. Love it. Yeah, exactly. Cool. By the way, there's a whole even more information about emptying your inbox on page 28 of Ari's book, so make sure you grab that. So this is pretty exciting. Now, you have a couple other key points I want to touch on, and I don't want to skip anything. So if I bounce around, just bring me back on track. One of the other things that you say is that you should never run an errand, which I think is kind of provocative and interesting. Talk about that for a sec. Yeah, errands are not efficient. No matter what you say, errands are not efficient, and you should not be running errands. The only exception would be grocery shopping, and that's simply because some people really enjoy grocery shopping. <laughs> and I'm actually one of them. I like going. My kids enjoy going to the grocery store. Like Some people are very particular about the food that they pick. But other than that, like pretty much everything else, okay, this is going to sound very bad, but I'll explain it. It's not worth your time. And that doesn't mean that somebody else's time is less worthy than yours. But there are plenty of people and plenty of services now where people make really nice livings running errands for you, whatever those could be. That could be picking up your laundry, walking your dog, or putting together a piece of Ikea furniture. It doesn't really matter. So there are so many ways that you can save time, money, and aggravation. And one of the best ones, by the way, doesn't even involve people. It's a service from Amazon called Amazon Subscribe and Save where you can subscribe to non-perishable items that you might have in your house, such as paper towels, dog food, toothbrushes, toothpaste, whatever it might be, and you can simply subscribe to those so that they just come on a regular schedule so that you just never have to think about it. I just read about that in the book about Jeff Bezos, and you can time it for how often you use this stuff, and it just takes it out of your brain. I love every second of that. That's great. What are one or two of your other that do involve people like picking up dry cleaning or stuff like that? What are some of your favorite services? First of all, nowadays, I mean, a lot of these companies sort of gotten to the realization that this is the new economy. So most laundry places will do their own delivery now. But if not, you can hire people from TaskRabbit. It's one of the, the most widespread services. TaskRabbit is great. You basically put up the job that you need done. You tell them what you want, and they will either assign somebody or people can bid on it to do the work. And the thing about that's cool about something like TaskRabbit is that you can say, like, I need somebody to pick up my laundry and grab these groceries and bring them home and actually put them in my closet. Like, it's not just point A to point B. You can give a whole sort of parameter of what you need done. And these people are trustworthy and you can count on them, right? Well, yeah. Well, TaskRabbit vets and does a background check on all of their people. And all of them have feedback and ratings. So, you know, maybe if it's something sensitive, you don't want to hire somebody who has no reviews or anything. But people always ask me about this. So this was a very specific but kind of funny example. I have three sons, and one of them, when he was born, the Social Security card, they got the name wrong on his Social Security card, which is so much more of a pain in the butt to fix than it should be. Mm-hmm. But I had a task driver come to my home, pick up all the paperwork, including the Social Security card, take it to the Social Security office, wait online, do the paperwork, and then bring it back to me. So, like, that's honestly, yes, that is a prime situation where somebody could steal an identity and go do all sorts of havoc and i've never had any problems with this but there's also safeguards that you can put in place like that for example lifelock.com is a service that allows you to protect your social security number from identity theft and it's very effective and i had that in place 
Nice. I'm just thinking they could wait in line at the DMV. That would be good, too. <laughs> Anything involves waiting in line, let's hire somebody else for that. I love it. And the thing is, the line thing is funny because where I used to live was about three blocks from an Apple store. And every single time a new iPhone would come out or a new iDevice, you would always see like four or five people wearing TaskRabbit jackets waiting in line. <laughs> I love it. You'd miss the party, but hey, that's okay. That's awesome. And by the way, for everyone, again, for our listeners, we got to experience Ari's system firsthand when we went to schedule this recording. So I want you to talk about schedule once because I think it is absolutely genius because tasks are one thing, email is another, but your calendar is a huge area of complexity for most people. And what was great is going back to your few days that you're kind of front facing with clients and customers and partners is that you use a system called Schedule Once. Can you just talk about that? I mean, I can talk about it, but to me, it's completely fascinating. And I have to tell you, my support partner, Nicole, loved it. She's like, oh, this is so cool because <laughs> we could actually go in and schedule ourselves on your calendar. Yeah, it's so funny, actually, because it's the only kind of scheduling situation where I've had many people write back to me and tell me how great the experience was booking something. So the average number of emails that it takes to schedule a meeting is seven, or actually I think now it's 8.1 is the average. And that's because you have to find a time and then you have to find a place or whatever it might be, maybe there's changes. So with schedule once, all you're doing is it's connecting with your calendar in real time. So it has your availability. You can limit certain office hours if you want. And then you can give somebody, anybody, this public link, and people can go check mine out. It's me.so slash A-R-I-M. And you can see when I'm available and make a request for appointment. And the nice thing about it is that you tell somebody, quite honestly, you say, look, this is my schedule. Take any time that works for you. Puts the control back in their court, and they love it. And it's a really simple process, and it makes it so that the email back and forth goes from either one or even zero because I have it in my signature where it says, want to schedule a meeting, and there's a link. Right. And then you just approve it? Is that how that works? Yeah. and Or you can make it an automatic thing where you don't have to approve it. But yes, I, because I, I make it so publicly available, I do approve the meetings. But that's so great. I mean, it's down to what, one or two steps instead of the 8.1. Exactly. Oh. The other thing I like about this, because this totally fits into the strategic coach time system of free focus and buffer days, you get to designate, okay, so my focus days, yours are, you said Monday, Wednesday? Right, yeah, and so that's a very important point is that you can set what they call office hours. So that could be certain days and certain hours that you are actually available for those meetings. I can just see my whole future. My, all my call schedule is going to happen this way. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very excited about that. Cool. One of the other things that I was really impressed with in your book, and these are obviously things that primarily jumped out at me, but other things may jump out to other people. At Coach, we call it delegated memory, but it's really about, you call it having an external brain, which I think is so fantastic because you already talked about email because you can remember everything because you can find it again. You also make incredibly great use of Evernote. So how did that happen and why are you so excited about Evernote? What does it do for you? So Evernote, for those who don't know it, it's a free service for capturing notes in pretty much any form that you can think of, whether it's text, audio, video, websites, YouTube videos, anything like that. And it's a free service, so you can capture this information. And the idea, for me, is to overuse it. You want to capture things without even thinking about it, just things that catch your interest, ideas that you have, get that idea flow going and put it in Evernote. And then it becomes this compendium that has a really relevant search to it. So not only can you search for those things that you might have captured, but when you find things in the future that are relevant to things that are already in your Evernote, it will pull those up as well. It's absolutely amazing. That's awesome. And I have Evernote, but there's no way I've even touched the capabilities of it the way that you talk about it. Yeah. Well, just start overusing it. Don't think about it. Just if you have ideas or things that are interesting, just put them in there. Fill it up. 
Oh, that's awesome. Now, one of the other things I found really kind of fascinating was your whole thing about customization, because outsourcing and crowdsourcing is certainly available, but also really customizing how you want to experience the world, whether or not it's what you order from Amazon Subscribe and Save or how you package, in your case, your vitamins. There's a whole industry out there now that can really help to create exactly what we want in the world. I had not looked at it from that angle. I mean, it was a cool part of your book that I was like, oh, I didn't expect this. Yeah, well, because that in itself is an inefficiency issue because things in the world are basically they're made for a global market. You know, the thing that's made for everyone is made for no one, right? Right. Basically, you can get solutions to problems custom-made, and, and this is everything from software to meal replacement bars. I mean, almost anything nowadays can be customized pretty simply. So, yeah, actually, meal replacement bars are a good example. There's a company called New Bars where you can get custom-made meal replacement bars, and that's if you have a special diet or maybe you're training for an event or whatever it may be, you don't want to necessarily get the generic power bars that have too much sugar or have too much of a glycemic load, depending on, you know, what you have going on. So, you can actually get a bar that's made just for you. You can do this with clothing. You can do this with software. You know, you can go to elance.com and you can get software made just for you for less than the cost of... You can get custom software made for 50 bucks, depending on what your need might be. Wow. I love that. Now, talk about your vitamins, because I thought that was a pretty cool thing to do. There's a company called Vitamins On Demand that does custom vitamin packs. You can use any supplements you want, so you can say, like, you know, I want garlic and vitamin B12 and iron and whatnot. And it comes in these just tear-off packages so you get these prepackaged vitamin supplements. So instead of having to carry around a whole bunch of bottles or travel with them or, you know, like with my pills, for instance, when I was on, you know, having my Crohn's medicine, I would have to plan ahead for a trip and actually sit down and parcel out, you know, into little plastic baggies all the different pills I was going to take. In this case, you can just tear off the number of days you need. That's awesome. I love it. My goodness, there's so much we could talk about, and I'm conscious of our time in your calendar, actually. So what I want to let people know is that there's other sections on finances and health and all sorts of wellness hacks, as we like to call them. So there's a ton of resources we're not even going to talk about today that I want to make sure that people get. But before we wrap up, there's one other concept I found really kind of brilliant, and that was your idea of both having upper and lower limits for things. I'm certainly conscious of having upper limits, but you also have lower limits. So in other words, a minimum standard for things like free time or time with your family or doing certain types of work. So just share with everyone your kind of thinking about limits, because I think that's a really cool way to approach your thinking about things. Sure. A good example is what we talked about before about working with a virtual assistant, that you're setting these restrictive parameters on yourself, and that actually has you forces you to think a different way and, and get a different result. So lower limits could be, you know, I'm going to read 10 pages a week or something, or I'm going to write one blog post every week, and those sort of habit-forming things. But what I like with it is that you actually start with a really small goal, micro goals even. So one thing I love is if you have somebody who's like, they absolutely just cannot make the time to work out, there's no way, I just can't make the time, which I, I love when people say that. <laughs> hey, just do one push-up. Do one push-up before you get in the shower. Okay, mm. just do one. And... Nobody has a problem with that. Everybody can do one push-up. And the thing about that that's so beautiful is that somebody does one push-up before they get in the shower, and within two days, they're doing four push-ups and five push-ups, and then a week later, they're doing ten push-ups, and it just happens that way. So setting lower limits is great, but sometimes that limit has to be very small. Right. I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Robert Moore, who wrote One Small Step Can Change Your Life, and that's exactly his premise. You go down the lowest level that doesn't trigger your kind of fear response, and that's your starting point. 
Oh my gosh, Ari, you're such a wealth of wisdom and I absolutely love it. So, and also you coach this stuff so people can actually work with you one-on-one to implement all of these incredible productivity capabilities. And you've had some pretty spectacular results in terms of health with Crohn's disease, people working out. I've listened to something where you really transformed an entrepreneur's life in a whole bunch of different areas. So how can people get to know you better? How can they experience you? How can they glean even more from your wisdom? Sure. So first of all, I have this great event coming up in May. It's my first live event in person. It's called it's the Less Doing Live event. So it's lessdoinglive.com. And it's going to be May 1st through 3rd in New York City. And Joe Polish is going to be speaking, Dean Jackson, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, and myself. Jordan Harbinger as well is going to be another keynote speaker. And we're going to have workshops for those days where I really want people to come away from this conference having made a measurable big change in terms of how they, they approach their life and how they actually can be more productive. The third day is the Mastermind Day. So I run a Mastermind Coaching Program, and that's one of the best ways that people can work with me on an ongoing basis. And we have just this amazing group that we put together right now that is helping each other, and I'm learning as much from them as they're learning from me in terms of how to make their life better every day. Well, and I'm a huge fan of community and of learning with other people because doing it on your own is one thing, but when you take it into a group situation, it transforms and multiplies exponentially. So I love that. If people want to access your blogs and your podcast, how can they do that? It's all at lessdoing.com, the, the awesome. podcast, the blog, and all the info on the event as well. Fantastic. Oh my gosh, Ari, you have been a wealth of wisdom. I'm completely pumped and inspired. And what I like is you kind of take away any concerns with even getting started, like start small, having that lower limit is really great coaching because it means that there's no reason not to get started. And just remember everyone optimizes the starting point, really take a look at exactly what you're doing. And after that comes the automation and the outsourcing. So this is, again, very conscious and aware way to live. So Ari, any closing coaching words of advice for our listeners, all of whom are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial team members and people who really want to take their life to the next level? Any, any last words of wisdom? What you just said is a really important one. Definitely not optimize that look at things that way. But just knowing that there's always a better solution. That's one of the things that I think really helps with the stress actually, is that even if you don't know the answer, by looking at things in this this lens of optimizing automated outsource, you get to learn that there will be a solution, that you'll be able to figure it out, that you will be able to systematize it and it won't be so bad. See, that's brilliant because there's always hope, and certainly you had to have that in order to transform your own health and life experience. And again, I just thank you for your generosity and sharing that with everybody here. Well, thank you so much for having me on. That's awesome. Thank you. Hi, Shannon here, and thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard today, please take a moment to rate the Team Success Podcast on iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd share the podcast with anyone else who could benefit. If you're interested in learning more about the Strategic Coach program for entrepreneurs, visit us at strategiccoach.com or the Strategic Coach channel on YouTube. For free downloads and more team success strategies, visit teamsuccesshandbook.com.